Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our series on certainty. As probably most of you are aware of, today is the 21st anniversary of September 11th and the events that transpired that affected our country and affected us all real dramatically. And I just want to have a, a moment of prayer. And, and the things that I want to kind of stir up in your mind is not only the events, not only the losses that happened, um, that there are still people today that are walking with that loss without their mother, father, brother, sister, grandfather, grandmother, friends that they've lost. Um, also, we need to remember that the way of life that we have is under threat. And that, um, that threat may be something that you do personally with, in your own life, what you may do in your family, maybe a personal habit that you have, but it may be something so far globally that there are people that don't like the way of life that we have here in the United States. And then also, I want us to remember the way we responded. It was kind of a big moment. Up until that point, we hated New Yorkers. I mean, we just, we just couldn't stand them. I mean, I'm from Boston. We hate them even more than you do. But, it, but then after 9-11, it was like we saw some nobility come out. We saw something different. We, we learned more about firemen, fire women, fire rescuers, and regular, ordinary people being heroic, and, and, and even like American flags. We went from not displaying the American flag to all of a sudden more flag sales than any time in the history of the United States. We responded. But we live in a culture right now where I have to ask the question, would we respond the same way? Are we the same America? And I think we all kind of know the answer to that. So this is a prayer, not only a prayer to be Solomon, but this is also a prayer that we need to remember God, stir us up to be those kinds of people once again. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and thank you for this country. Thank you for all the liberties that we experience. Lord God, we pray for those people who are continuing to walk in the shadow of the loss of 9-11. And we pray, Lord God, that you continue to grant them peace. Lord God, we, we know that we are a country under threat from within and from without. Lord God, help us to be a people who walk in truth, in knowledge, in faithfulness, in character, in love and compassion. And Father, allow us never to slip from being the kind of people that can face adversity and rise up and build something greater. Through your spirit, through your word, lead us and guide us and direct us to be men and women of character, to be a country that holds its head up with pride for our impact in the world. Father, thank you for saving our country. And Lord, make us a country worth saving again. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So on a lighter note, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you know that we were buying a minivan for a missionary from Afghanistan that was, in, uh, was under threat of being killed. He's on the list for the Taliban. He helped American ex Americans escape when we pulled out. He had to be rescued and smuggled out of different ways. So I presented this, that they're moving. They're up in New York. They're moving to Charleston real soon. Uh, three churches bought them, bought them a house. 
And uh, we are the church that volunteered to buy them a minivan. And so I want to let you know that uh, we raised $26,000 in just two and a half weeks. That's, that's all you, $26,000. Then the extra monies that are needed to buy the van, um, at Crosstown, we have, when you give tithes and offering, we put a certain percentage, like a tithe, into benevolence. So we had money in the benevolence fund that we were able to make up the difference on that. So I wanted to let you know, we got the van. It's sitting right outside the building here. It is uh, New England Patriot Blue. It's a good color. Um, it is a 2019 Honda Odyssey with 46,000 miles on it. The elite model with captain's chairs and all the technology. So I'm happy to tell you that you gave so much money that they will be driving a nicer car than you. And that is absolutely awesome. So give it, there you go. I mean... Seriously, I, that's absolutely amazing that that's taking place. So we're going to be talking about certainty because I think we look for it everywhere. Uh, we use apps to make sure that we go to the right restaurant. How many people here use Yelp? Anybody here use Yelp? Yeah, I guess what? I don't know what the first service was doing. There was like nobody using Yelp in that. But, you know, we, when you want to go to a restaurant, instead of just walking in like in the old days and trying it out and then walking out, you actually can... Look at an app to increase your level of certainty of a positive experience. Um, I'm an eBay guy. I, maybe that's considered old school, but I buy used things. I like used things. They're cool. You know, you can get used things cheap. So I go on eBay, Amazon, Marketplace, on Facebook. And what I do is I really depend on the reviews. And when I look at the reviews, I'm looking for quality. I'm looking for certainty. I'm looking for reliability. Matter of fact, I'm hunting for a Peloton, if you want to sell me your Peloton. But it's funny, as I'm going on Marketplace, because everybody buys a Peloton for six months, and then they sell them. But I'm looking at the Peloton, and so what I will do is I'll look at the model and be like, okay, price is good. Then I'll read the write-up, and the write-up will be something like this. Um, it's brand new. I've only ridden it 1,500 times. And it's like, what don't you understand about the phrase, it's brand new? Because if you've ridden it 1,500 times, it's not brand new. But I'll even go a little bit further, because when you're buying from somebody online, that can be kind of scary. So I'll go, I know I sound like a real creeper here, but I will go to the person's Facebook page, okay? And because I, I want to make sure I'm going to go drive and pick it up, and i got to go in the house to get it. I want to make sure I'm coming out alive. So, so I'll go on the Facebook page and I'll look at their picture and see if their eyes are too close. And if their eyes are too close, I'm not buying If they got two, their eyebrows are connected together, nothing against beauty brow people. But if, it, if it's all that, I'm like a little scared. But I'll go down and I'll look to see, is there an American flag somewhere? Is there a cross someplace? Oh, they go to church. You know, it's like that. And then I'll be like, okay, I'll buy from them. What am I doing? Uh, probably other than profiling. I, I, am looking, I am looking for certainty. I'm looking to get something that I can be certain about. You know, even when we go shopping for cars, you'll buy a certain kind of car. If you have the ability to do this, you'll buy a certain kind of car and there'll be metrics that you'll use. Safety. You know, no, there's no other reason to buy a Volvo other than safety. I mean, it's not like they're super fast and it's not like they're super uh, like off-road-ish or anything like that. Um, but they are incredibly safe. We look for reliability. 
Uh, we look for something that's economical, gets good gas mileage. And, and then you hope, I'm hoping that you work speed into it, that you're, you're doing a little zoom zoom, that you're getting, the, you're getting something that has a little speed to it. But after we buy a new car, and I know we don't get to buy them often, but when you buy a new car, they'll try to send, sell you this extended warranty. I mean, it's really crazy if you think of it logically. You go to this dealership, you're in the dealership, and they are now convincing you why you should buy this car instead of that car, or this manufacturer instead of that manufacturer. So what they do is they all have printouts, and they'll print out the latest rating of reliability and show you how they're ahead of Toyota, or they're ahead of, you know, whoever, Mitsubishi, or whoever it is. They'll, they'll show you that where they rank, and they're one of the most reliable brands. And then they'll also print out and say, here's a little article from Car and Driver magazine. And this is what they said about our car. And I'll, you know, if I'm talking to them, I'll look at my phone, make sure that it's actually a real article because I can do graphics and I can make things look like they're reliable. And, and so I'll, I'll verify the facts and all that. And so then finally you decide you're going to buy the car because they've convinced you that their car is better than that other model or that other manufacturer. And then you go into the room. Oh yeah, you know the room, right? You know that room with that, that individual, the finance manager. It's the room you don't like going into. They gotta figure out how to change this because you know, for, for a decade I bought all my cars online because I hated the room. That room is when your salesperson takes you in and then at the last moment you turn around, they're not there anymore and all of a sudden the walls get small and things get dark and you're sitting down and then there's the numbers person. And that numbers person is sitting there and so you can make yourself comfortable. And then uh, they're like, okay, so you find, you're buying this, you know, you're buying the little saber. Yep, you're getting that. And you're putting in all the data and that's all the stuff. And then the next thing that they do is they tell you about the extended warranty program. And this person's, this person's not malleable. This person's not agreeable. This person is not like, um, hey, man, whatever's cool with you. No, this is an A-type person. This is a person that's like, okay, you need this. And, and you're sitting there and you're like shocked because you guys just convinced me your car was reliable and now you give me the big push that your car is not reliable. And they'll end up saying something like this and I put together a kind of a, a you know, a, a different, all the different things I've heard said. I, and the, this manager will say something like this. Why are you investing so much in this car and not protecting it with an extended warranty? They'll go deeper. What's wrong with you? Don't you love your kids? You know, it's like, what? You know, and, and I've actually, the last time it happened, I actually pushed back. Uh, and I mean, I'm like, oh, whoa, wait a minute. Sounds like you're telling me that your car's not reliable and I need to get out of here as fast as possible because you're pushing me really hard in this extended warranty. I'm that guy, okay? And, 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 uh, but why are they pushing extended warranties? It's because they know there's this fundamental thing inside of all of us that we want certainty. We want something that's not going to break. Fear is just dwelling in us because we've lost certainty about so many things right now. We've lost certainty about things that we shouldn't even be uncertain about. For instance, was I born a girl in a boy's body? It's like, when did we start asking ourselves that question? 
You know, when did we teach our kids to ask themselves this question? Why are we in public schools presenting uncertainty about some of the most fundamental concepts of anything that we can know? But yet now we're questioning even that. Should I wear a mask? Should I get a vaccine? Is inflation going to be bad? Is it something that the, that the Republicans made up? Or is this something that the Democrats are creating? Or what are interest rates going to be like? Are we going to experience a civil rebellion in America? What if Trump gets elected again? Geopolitical conflicts in Taiwan. Can I raise normal kids in a socially, um, social media frenzy world? What happens if I get sick or if I die? What happens to me after life? Can I get over a loss or a divorce? What, what, you know? And so we've got all those out there too. So we've got all these uncertainties that we experience in life. But then you add to this uncertainty that there are industries designed to constantly keep you in this place of being uncertain. They get paid to do it. It's called advertising, marketing. Is that, hey, you know, if you found, I mean, all kinds of smart, have you, if you have a problem with this or this, you wake up three times a night and you do this, well, then maybe you have prostate cancer and you need to see this and you need to do this and you have to do that. And then at the end, there's a disclaimer. If you take this drug, there's like 900 other things that are going to happen to you, you know, because they're not even certain, are they? So there's industries out there that create and live and feed off of your uncertainty and the fear that can compel you to react to it. But that's not even that. Um, um, there's, there's the challenge of things that we are certain about. You're going to find us like, I'm going to hyperventilate by the time this is all over with on this word certainty. Because there are, there are things that we are certain about and they're unnerving. For instance, I ran the numbers. And I know some of you are going to say, Pastor Paul, you're going to live forever. It's like, forget that, would you? Um, I'm pretty certain that I will not see the year 2055. Okay? 2055. So when I hear something like, America will be all electric cars by 2055, I'm kind of like, yeah, well, I, <laughs> I, I can still own a gasoline-powered uh, Mustang or whatever it is. I will not see that day. And you're like, Oh, Paul, that's such a morbid thing. No, I'm just certain of it. And let me just say, if I'm, if I'm still alive in 2055, will somebody run me over? I mean, I mean, please run me over. Um, I'm certain that my body's going to ache the more I age in years. Pretty certain about that. I'm certain that I will be paying taxes till I die. I'm pretty certain that unless I put effort into my relationships, they'll probably wither. Um, and I'm pretty certain that unless America returns to God, it will fail inwardly. It will just, it will just collapse. You say, well, why are you certain? It's because, you know, all you got to do is look back in history and see every culture that violates a couple principles, fundamental principles of, of certainty, all of a sudden begin to collapse. And we're, you know, I'm not being a doomsday guy. I'm just, I'm pretty certain that, we'll, that history will repeat itself if things don't get changed. You know, so I began to think about the things that I'm certain with, and I started getting depressed because almost everything that I was certain about was negative. So I wanted to ask somebody, and you know, 
if anybody's done any research on the idea of certainty, because it really appears that more things that we're certain about are negative. And I'm like, well, why would that be that way? I mean, it's like, is it just because I'm like warped in my personality? And I don't think I am. I have issues, but I don't think that's one of them. I think it's more scientific than that. We live in a world of entropy, okay? I mean, we all know that. It's measurable, predictable, that things begin to decay, things begin to break, things don't last. Things rot, things, you know, it, it, things rust. All that happens. I think we're pretty much, I think we're a part of a world that we experience biological entropy. We know we get older and we die. And, and so it seems like the whole universe seems to be moving in that direction. So it seems to be built into that the things that we are certain about, sometimes if you're only focusing on them, it really is negative. Then there's one other kind of certainty. Then there's the issue of having a sense of confidence in something we think that is certain, and it's not. One would be the opinion and moral political views of celebrities. Why is it that if I can tell you about Jesus Christ all day long, if I tell you about what America needs to be, you'll listen to it and walk out here and evaluate it. If all of a sudden I was to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, Let's give it up for George Clooney. You know, and all of a sudden George walks out here and he's, you know, got his beautiful gray hair and he's, you know, got a kind of like, you know, the way that he talks and looks all of a sudden. And if he all of a sudden told you that Jesus Christ is Lord, and if he all of a sudden told you that America needs to do this, it's so funny how many of you will listen to him, but you won't listen to me because he's celebrity, you know? But for a lot of us, we think, well, they got to know they got more money than us or they're popular or whatever. That's not real. I'll tell you another one. Is that we have confidence in the perfect church. We've been hearing news lately about pastors failing. And you're just kind of like, oh my goodness, I can't believe he did that. I can't believe he did that. I hate to say it, there's a lot of he's involved with this. But there's a, I can't believe he did that. And it's like, what, 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 do you think? You think your pastor was above humanity? You thought your pastor didn't have problems. You thought, and you thought you found Crosstown, the perfect church. Hey, folks, let me just tell you what's going on in Crosstown. We're loving God. We're seeking God. We're talking bad about people. We're loving God. We're jealous of one another. Uh, we're loving God. We're, you know, complaining. I mean, we're, we're, doing, we're doing all that stuff. So there are, we go looking for certainty, and we put our hopes and certainties in places and all of a sudden, that perfect pastor, that perfect church failed us. So what do you do? Let's try out Seacoast. Let's try out Northwoods. Let's go to this other church. Let's go to Awaken. Let's go to that church. And I'm telling you, you think you're going to find certainty there in the church, in that group of people. They're all the same. I'm certain of it. I'm absolutely certain of it. It's like, wow, this is really depressing today. I'm so glad I came. Um, no, it's going to end well. Sometimes God's got to pop your bubble before he can fill it with something else or take away your bubble. Our standard of living, um, we save up so that we can have the golden years. Uh, we learn more things right now, especially the younger generation learns more of their facts on Instagram and TikTok than in the news or in the classroom. Number one source, if you ask somebody under the 25 or younger where they get all their information from, it's TikTok and Instagram. 
Um, CNN and Fox News, come on, let's give me a break. If it's liberal, it's CNN. If it's right-wing, it's Fox. You may think what you got for certain is your job. At least I got my job. It's like, really? Do you? Is that really? You know? Um, and here's the other one. Is some of us think our perception of the world is certain. I think, therefore, I am. No, I, I, we think it says, I think, therefore, I'm right. And that's not what Descartes said. You, the fact that you think just kind of proves that you are, but it doesn't prove that you're right. And for a lot of us, we are here today sitting, believing that everything that I say, everything the Bible says, everything that goes on gets measured by the high standard of my perception. It, you can be convicted about a lot of things, but you can be wrong in your convictions. But for a lot of us, we think, okay, my viewpoint is right. That's why one of the greatest paths to certainty is to, is to begin to realize how personally flawed you are. If we want to look into the future with a sense of certain, certainty and hope, it must be built on something reliable. I mean, because we're medicating ourselves. We drank more wine between 2022 and 2000. And uh, 2020, 2022, like, I mean, it's crazy how much wine we drank. We went home and we had a, we, what used to be a glass became a bottle of wine a day. We are on more antidepressants than any other country in the world. Uh, and you say, we're smoking more weed, we legalize it. Why? Because everybody's freaking out. We need everybody just to chill out a little bit. So the only way we could face it was by kind of medicating ourselves. And I'm not immune to that. I didn't smoke the weed, but, you know, uh, I'm just telling you that I think we all, and I'm not judging you if you did smoke the weed. Boy, I have to really clean this up a lot of different ways. Uh, unless in this state that it wasn't legal. But you see what my point is? Is that when we don't experience, when we don't have certainty, we retreat into something. We retreat, we retreat, we retreat, and all of a sudden we find ourselves... Um, uncertain about life at all. So when we look at Jesus, I, I think if you're an atheist or an agnostic here, you got to admit, whether you believe the story's true or not, Jesus looks really good. Nobody ever says, what a dirtbag. You know, nobody says, what a loser. No, I never hear those complaints because when we look at, we look at Jesus, we, we see him face uncertainty and and adversity was this undaunted sense of mission about what was going to happen next. We want Jesus to be true, don't we? Whether it was with scarcity, violence, or threats, whether it was with armies, war, or, or whatever, we want to live like Jesus lived. He lived with uh, a sense of certainty, and he presented that certainty to the world. We want that. That's why you're spending $5,000 on an extended warranty on a brand new car. It's why you're putting a three-year warranty on a brand new TV. It's why we check reviews. It's why, we, because we all want certainty. And now I'm going to say something that you're going to think it's crazy for me to say. You want God to be true. You know, I mean... You, I'll even say, you want heaven to be true. You really want it. But I'm going to say something. But wanting it doesn't make it true. 
okay? Just because you want something doesn't make it true. It's like, I thought I came here to learn more about God. You are. But you're going to find out that God wants to bust your bubble so that you, your life is built upon a rock, not sinking sand. So this is where the Gospel of Luke comes in. We're going to be doing this for the, all the way until Thanksgiving. We're going to be going through the Gospel of Luke. And, and the reason why Luke is so important to me is because the way that he does his job. I'm a natural skeptic. I doubt everything. If you come up to me and said, God spoke to me last night or God did a miracle in, my, in your life, I will begin to ask you questions that will challenge the accuracy of what you're stating to me. So when you say a miracle, what do you mean? I mean, it's like, you know, was it a miracle miracle or was it like you took your medicine and you got better miracle? You know, I mean, it was like, so I, I mean, not that I'm discounting that because I, I like yoga because it makes my back feel better. And I thank the Lord for that wisdom. But, you know, so, so there is miracle in knowing that. But the, the idea is like, so I'll challenge people's facts. And it's like, yeah, but is there any way, did you watch a movie that when you had that dream that kind of, like, did you watch Star Wars the night before? And that's why you thought you had this dream or something like that. I'm that guy. I don't just believe stuff. So I love the way Luke writes because he, he layers his account with concepts of certainty. He knows I'm out here. He knows this, that my kind of mind, maybe your kind of mind, is out there. So we're going to follow his presentation of the life of Jesus, and we're going to discover all the certainty principles that he communicates to us. And I know you're saying today we're going to look at, well, how do I know we did a good job? How do I know this wasn't um, just something that he did? Well, we're going to look at how he did his job. And the first thing that we need to see is that he was a physician. Now, back then, as was up until this day, I believe for the most part, is that there have been a lot of professions that you can do that are honorable professions. But there were always professions that were considered like the stopgap measure of truthfulness and lies. It's like, if your doctor says it to you, it's true. It was kind of like that way in the legal system. But it's like, if your doctor said it was true, then it was true. Everybody could say this and that, what you ought to do, and all the home remedies and all the different concepts. But when the doctor walked into the room, you knew that there was somebody that had experience, somebody that knew the facts, somebody that had researched, somebody that was smart, um, hopefully. Um, you know, you, you walk in with those kinds of biases. And it's exactly the individual that we're dealing with here. This is not one of the fishermen. This is not some religious person who wants God to be true. This is a physician. And so we're going to see how he did his job. And it's so important because today you are going to have to rely on something. And you've got to decide what is it going to be. Let me read to you quickly the account of it. Luke 1 starts off this way. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully for the, uh, from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellence Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth 
about the things that you have been taught. Okay, so we have Luke starting off his gospel, not with the virgin birth, not with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, like John does, or with the genealogy like Matthew does. We have him doing, it's like, I'm gonna tell you how I did my job. The other guys did their job, but I wanna tell you how I did my job, which also corroborates how they did their job. So he goes at it from the standpoint of forensics. See, today we think, I know we're kind of arrogant as 21st century people. It's like, well, why didn't Jesus do it today? We have all this technology. We could have gotten the message out. Does anybody here believe anything that you see on technology? I mean, really, does anybody here really believe CNN or Fox or Instagram or YouTube or any of those things? I mean, we have more technology, and I would say our ability to record the facts is so stunted right now that I'm willing to bet back in this time period that their usage of forensic language and historical documents and legal terminology probably supersedes ours. Okay, let me just say, I'll tell you how dumb duck. Can anybody here tell me the phone number of 10 people in your life? Do you know the phone number of 10 people in your life? Um, I know my wife's, I know my two daughters, sorry, Donnie, um, and uh, that's it. I know my number uh, because I don't have to keep track of that stuff. I got something else to keep track for that. The moment you got something else keeping track for that, that, that means that data is now alterable. But back in these days, they communicated in a certain way that we think is primitive. Get that out of your mind. They all were not more primitive when it came to recording history and the way that it was communicated. But then we're going to stack on top of that, we're going to stack this physician guy, and he's going to tell us how it was done. But I thought it was really interesting that this literary description that I read to you is in the scriptures. It's like, you may think that I just got that from another document, but that's actually in the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 1. Why is that in the book of Luke? Why not tell me something fancy about Jesus? Why start the book that way? Because God knows that certainty is very important. He knew you'd be sitting here today and you'd question everything. And he's like, no, no, uh, salvation, that's important. Resurrection from the dead, very important. Certainty, very important. So you may blow over a scripture like I just read and it's like, that's technical, it's historical. And it's like, no, you don't understand. The certainty of this record determines the quality of certainty of all the events. And God says, I know your mind needs this. Maybe he was writing it for us in the 21st century. So I'm going to read it to you again. But this time I'm going to read it in a different version. And the reason why I'm using this one, this is called the amplified version. It's not for the hearing impaired. It, it's it's, it's a, a version that when the translators take a, a book uh, from Hebrew or Greek and translate it into English, particularly modern English, they have to pick equivalencies of words, meaning depending on culture, that culture and then this culture. So they pick like one word that's equivalent to this Greek word 
or to this Hebrew word, or how the Hebrews would have used that word, or the Greeks would use it, how Americans are using this word. And, and so you can see the incredible difference, and then you got all this time period. And so they got to come up with, well, the Amplified Version um, decided that we know that these commentators picked a word, but there might have been three words they could have picked that would have done the job. So what they do is they give you all three words. That's why, the reason why people don't carry the Amplified around is because it's like this thick, you know? If you carry it around, it would take you about an hour to get like through one of the Psalms because there's so much repetition in the words. But I'm going to read you these words, why? Because I believe each of these words provides another um, granule of certainty. That, it, that it's like pouring concrete. It's like all that stuff that goes in there to harden. So I want you to hear words. And I want you to ask God that a word would be said that does it for you. Um, because there's amazing words being used. So let me read it to you. It's going to be very complicated. It's going to be very forensic. It's going to be very legal. It's going to be very technical. It's going to be very boring. But you know what? You don't need a warm, fuzzy feeling from today. me today. Because there's a lot of warm, fuzzy stuff that you're going to experience in life that, that you're going to need certainty. You're not going to need a buzz. I think we all learned two years of buzzing, it got us nowhere. So let me read it to you. This is what it says. Since, as it is well known, many have undertaken to put in order and draw up thorough narrative of the surely established deeds which have been accomplished and fulfilled in and among us. He's like, okay, so other people are doing this too. So it, this is not like, this is being whispered over here, like in some sort of telephone game where you're whispering it and then this guy tells that guy the secret and that guy the secret and then by the time you get down the end of the line, the secret's already d- distorted into some other thing. No, he's already saying, hey, there's other books being written about this. And I know other people are undertaking this narrative. So he's talking about, um, since it's being drawn up and undertaken to do this, uh, to put together a narrative, he says, okay, I'm going to do this too. Um, He says, the deeds which have been accomplished and fulfilled in and among us, exactly, exactly as they were handed down to us by those from whom the official beginning of Jesus' ministry were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. So this is not like somebody giving their personal testimony, which is pretty cool and legitimate. But you know, when you come up and tell me what Jesus does for you, which I love to hear, I got to admit, you know, this is a little bit like, did you see it happen? Were you there when... that? miracle occurred did you no but my friend told me that it happened and then me there's a want to believe you okay it's like I want to believe that but I'm like the closer you get to the event the more believable or convinced I am that the actual event occurred don't we all operate that way that's why the bible says do not gossip or repeat a matter is because the further you get away the less reliable the data that surrounding that. So he says, I am, I'm taking exactly what was handed down by the original people who were there. That means, guess who he's talking to? How does he learn about the virgin birth? He's sitting down with Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
Okay, so, so tell me, what happened here? Okay, so you're saying an angel came down and talked? Yes, he came down, okay. Do you remember what he said? Yeah, he said this, this, and this, and this. Well, where were you and Joseph at the time? Well, we were in the middle, we were here, and then all of a sudden, um, these, these shepherds came in. Really? These shepherds came in? Well, okay, we're gonna see. What did the shepherds say? Well, they said they were standing in a field, and blah, blah, blah. It's like, this is how it's being done. And then he goes over and talks to Peter. It's like, well, how does he find out that Peter denied Jesus three times? Because Jesus, Peter's like, uh, um, hey, dude, I want to let you know. I, I didn't buy in at first. Even afterwards, I had some of my doubts. And, and so we share. So Luke is going around getting eyewitness accounts to the events. We don't get that kind of data anymore. We get a video that has been edited and then put into a bias, and it's called the nightly news. But he's going around, and he's talking to the people that really, the eyewitnesses of it all, ministers of the word. I think that's important. These were people who died for it. These were people who were willing to die for what the story they were telling. That is, of the doctrine concerning the attainment through Christ of salvation into the kingdom of God. Um, it seemed good and desirable to me. And so I have determined also, after having searched out diligently and followed all things closely and traced accurately, you can see this is like three words, three phrases being used to translate this Greek concept, and he's, this version repeats all those things. Did one of those help you at all? Traced accurately? Followed all things closely? Searched out diligently? It's like, okay, all right. But he says, the course from the highest to the minutest detail, from the very first to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. From the highest to the minutest detail. It's like no bias, not just the stuff I wanted to hear, but I'm telling you everything, the good stuff and the bad stuff. The time that Jesus is transfigured on the, on the mountaintop with the disciples to the moment when the disciples all run and hide. I'm not sparing anybody any embarrassment. It's not like I'm pro-disciples or pro-male, so I'm gonna make this all male. That's a bunch of bogus crap, okay? The Gospels are so turned towards being pro-women when we see Jesus' resurrection and all of a sudden Mary Magdalene and a couple of the other Marys and other ladies that are there see Jesus or the resurrection take place. And then, and, and then who goes back and tells the boys about it? It's the ladies. And, the, and what do the boys do? Luke recorded it. they all like, yeah, right. That really happened, okay? So if you're here today and you don't have certainty, I just want to let you know, we find periods throughout the gospel where the disciples lacked certainty. One moment they were up, the next moment they were down. Every one of us carry about 20% of agnosticism and about 3% of atheism in our trunks. We want to, we're about like 70%, but you know, but... All of us have our doubts. The disciples did too. That's why this gospel was written. My purpose is that you may know the full truth and understand with certainty 
and security against the era accounts, histories, and doctrines of the faith of which you have been informed and in which you have been orally instructed. He's like, I want you guys to know about all this stuff and how true it was. So I've gone back and I've done the historical legwork, the legal legwork, the forensic legwork. And he's like, I can provide you certainty. Now, I'm just going to dive into this personally. Certainty, interesting word. But are we certain about anything? I mean, there's a couple of things that we are certain in the negative. We're all going to die. But I was, had an opportunity to talk to my older brother the other day, and, and uh, my family's moving towards their 70s at a rapid rate. And um, we talked for about two hours, and then he flat out asked me a question. Okay, Paul, how certain are you about this Jesus thing? And uh, it was a good rationalist question to ask me. He's like, how certain are you? You know what I told him? I know what you think I told him, 100%. I didn't. I told him 96.2%. Okay? Because if I had all the information needed to be certain, 100%, undeniable, it's a reality, blah, 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 it would not be called faith. There is an element of belief in this. And every one of us are living a life based upon some sort of belief, based upon some percentage of facts. Atheists are living atheism, which is a faith based upon a certain amount of data that they feel is reliable data. My thing is, is go with what gives you the highest percentage. So, I, so he asked me, he's like, okay, 196.2. I'm like, okay, um, well, I, I look at the odds of what it takes to form uh, an amino acid, to form a protein, to make uh, the genetic system work. That the research shows that it looks like it was programmed. That evolution by chance is no way possible, is, is not possible. If you're running old-fashioned Darwinism, your level of certainty is like you're under 10% now. And, and the scientists know that and are admitting that. Okay, so that is losing ground really fast. So when you're taking the, the amino acid thing, you're thinking, wow, that's crazy, Pastor Paul. You need that? Yeah, I add that onto my little thing. And I got one of those, you know, and the little numbers coming out and the paper spits out. And, I'm, and I do this. I'll add all this data in there. It's like, okay, there it is. Okay, there's that. Then it's like, okay, the position of the planet uh, to its near it, to the star, to the sun. It's like, okay, we are right at the perfect place. The fact that it forms this electromagnetic, um, you know, uh, field around the outside of it, the fact that we're on the right axis, the fact that the moon's only a certain amount of distance from the earth, if it was off this way or that way, the whole thing wouldn't work. Um, then, then if we were inside the, the galaxy in another, or even in the solar system, we were in another position, everything would either burn up or everything would freeze up. If we were in a different position in, there, in the um, galaxy, it wouldn't work. And then you look at, okay, well, that's the, the, the physical thing, they got a biological thing, and then there's the moral thing. It seems like um, people who act like Christ seem to be people who experience better flourishing, people who experience better justice, better, that history seems to go better forward when we are living true Christianity, not churchism, but real Christianity. And then it's like, it seems to make a marriage. So it's a moral issue, and, and they seem to be objective. They seem to be true in Africa as they are in, in Iceland as they are in, and, and so I said, so when you add all that together, carry the one, the, bring the number down and add up to, I said I come up to 
And I'll say, show me a religion or a worldview that gives you a better percentage. There isn't one. Okay? And uh, it's like, based upon those numbers, can I believe the other 3.8% needed? Yeah, I can, I can take that. That's not a leap of faith. That's just like a little step over there, like that. That's all that is. So this is why this is so important. So why did God have Luke write this for you and me? Luke said it. And this is from, I'm going to say this is from God more than from Luke. My purpose is that you may know the full truth and understand with certainty. Too many of us are walking around with a fragmented concept of God. It's not enough. Really not enough to face COVID. Not enough to face inflation. Not enough to face a divorce. Not enough to face cancer. Not enough to face death. Not enough to face hardship in, in our, our birth family. Not enough to, you know, we, we have fragments, but it, it's not enough to really put it together and to be enough. We need this because we have doubts. We have doubts. Every one of us have doubts. I know you're too scared in church to admit it, but you have doubts. I'm not saying Christianity is going to erase all your doubts, but I'm going to say that Christianity presents certainty that's greater than any of your doubts. And there is no other worldview that you can possibly look at that communicates such certainty with such accuracy, historical being, being implanted historically and verified in creation and sociology and biology. I mean, the Big Bang. All of a sudden in the 60s, you know, cosmic background radiation. It's like, whoa, it looks like the universe is expanding. Do you know up until Einstein, we thought it was an oscillating eternal universe that it collapsed and then it went out and it collapsed and went out and it did it eternally? And all of a sudden, you know, we got Big Bang. You know, and they, the, the Hubble telescope saw some radiation in the background. It's like, whoa, what is that? It means the, Earth is exp- the universe is expanding. What does that mean? Uh, based upon classical physics, that means that it had a beginning. Oh, crap. That means God. You know, I mean, everybody knows it. When you add all that up, and then you have to face cancer, and you have to face a death in your family. You know, it's like, okay, on Christ the solid rock I stand. We need it because we need hope in America. We need hope. We elected their guy. Now we elect, elected your guy. Anybody better yet? You think you got a better guy or gal out there? It's going to change it and turn it all around. I do. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. Why do we need this? Because we need to move forward. We're stuck. We need to move forward with certainty. We face other certainties that scare us. We are fed pseudo-truths that, through social media, and we need to frame our lives on true truth. True truth. Not something masquerading as truth. In closing, taking all this, and you're going to hear Jesus here. You thought that I was kind of like, you know, Debbie Downer, um, Sorry, Debbies, if you're here. 
um, but you thought I was Debbie Downer and about life and the world and all that stuff. Now, sometimes you need your bubble popped. Because I know what it's like to be 35 and on top of your career, have a really good body and able to run a, you know, five-minute mile and be able to, you know, do whatever, all that other stuff. You know, I, I know what it was like to feel invincible, but it's all, it's all a bubble. That's why I'm so shocked going through my 60s. I'm like, oh my goodness. It hurts. Oh my goodness. I'm going to die. I never thought I was going to die. I really didn't. I thought we were going to have it cured by that. It ain't happening. Jesus has this serious conversation with the disciples about how certain they are. He just tells them about his life, his mission. They've watched it. He's telling them about his coming death and his resurrection. And I want you to hear his conversation. And I want you to hear you as one of these guys. I want you to hear yourself in this. Here's their conversation with him. Because it's the same conversation we're having with God right now and he's having with us. The disciples respond to Jesus' declaration and they say, now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. For by this we believe that you come from God. It's like, you would think Jesus is like, oh, awesome. You're arrived. This is great. This is wonderful. Listen to what Jesus, Jesus breaks out his little needle. He just heard them fill up this balloon. And listen to what he says. And Jesus answered them, do you believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered. He said this to the disciples. It's like, really, do you believe? Are you certain? Because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. COVID's going to break out. Because what I'm going to tell you is that this thing with China, that's not done yet. This thing with Russia, it's not over with. Inflation, you haven't seen it yet. Difficult times, I'm just letting you know, there's going to be a time when you're going to want to run and to scatter from God. When your loved one dies, when that illness does not go away, in every generation, in every person, there is a scattering moment. And Jesus is like, listen, you know, I know where you are, and I know you're ready to run home and get your cheap bottle of wine. said you will be scattered and each to his own home and you will leave me alone and some of us have done that we've left the faith I mean that we're not unsaved but we're we've abandoned it our confidence in it Jesus says yet I'm not alone because I'm not real because you want me to be real I don't need you to believe in me for me to be believable because the Father is with me. 
Jesus then explains, why am I being so difficult with you? Why is Pastor Paul being so blunt with you? Because you want me to hear, hear Jesus say this. These things I have spoken to you so that, that in me you may have peace. And here comes some certainty. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. We are in a cultural scattering moment. You don't have to be a prophet to see it. We are retreating in dismay, uh, dismay and uncertainty. We are vacating our position with Christ. We've left him out there and we've scattered. But Jesus says, and I put this in my own words, it's not the Amplified. Yes, hard times will happen for certain. But take courage. I have overcome the world for certain. So I don't know of a Christianity that can get you past the first part, hard times. I wish I did. I wish I had a, a religion that I presented to you and it's like it all goes away. Buildings don't flood. Little kids don't get sick. You know, we just kind of grow old. You know, we were watching Downton Abbey, the movie last night. And Lady Grath, I'm sorry, I'm going to ruin this for you, but you knew it was happening for certain. She was going to die. And there she was in her bed, and she was laying there, and, and her grandchildren on one side, her children on this other side, her friends over there, and the doctor standing by that. And Lady Grantham says some quip, some funny thing, and then she closes her eyes and dies. And it's like, that's not usually how it happens. We want to create this fairy tale about life. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to tell you. It may happen while you're at the gym. You may be driving your car. You know, your wife may leave you. You may lose your job. You may all of a sudden get a spot on your foot that grows real fast. You may hear the words, we didn't catch it in time. You may, I mean, Jesus is being straight up. I don't know what those faith preachers are talking about. He's, he's being straight up. Stuff is going to hit the fan in your life. And he says, that's certain. And I think we've all lived long enough to find out. Let me just say, if you don't know now, wait until you turn 60. It'll hit you like a, like a tortilla in the face. I mean, it is just like a, it is. You can ask me about that later. And when you get about to my life, you realize you're not stud enough. You're not rich enough. You're not smart enough that you find yourself being shoved to a destination you don't want to get to, whether it's in your marriage, in your family, or your culture. I mean, I, my heart aches for America, you know? But it's like, unless we turn, it's going to happen. That's certain. So, well, then what, what's worth living for? Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And that is more certain than anything else. We'll prove it. That on the third day, when the ladies went to the tomb, the stone was rolled away. And then, later that night, Jesus appears to his disciples. And then the scripture says in multiple accounts, he appeared to over 500 people. And 
then within 50 days of that moment, it is attested to historically by Luke and the other gospels that the Holy Spirit is poured out and 3,000 people witness this event. And then from this point on, historically, that the Christian faith goes into the most oppositional culture of the Romans and affects the future of the world. And to this same, to this very day, is verified when people like you and me trust in Jesus. So, 96.2%. Yeah, it's just a little step from there to certain. And God wants to invite you. So if you're here today and you've doubted, no, no shame on you because Jesus busted their bubble. If you're here today and you were like riding high and now you're like, I'm going to go to some other church that, you know, where's Joel Osteen when you need him? I mean, I need somebody to blow my balloon up, you know? I mean, he's a good guy, but it doesn't work. It's not real. It's not measurable. And it doesn't look like the universe we live in. But Jesus being beaten, dying on a cross unjustly, rising from the dead, that's the world I experience. And that's the hope that I want, that he's proven. Fathers, we come today to communion. We do not come for just bread and juice. We come for certainty. Today, whatever our percentage of belief is, today we bring it to you. Like the man who had that son that had a demon and the disciples apparently didn't believe enough to cast the demon out. Cried out to Jesus, help my unbelief. Help me believe. My spouse is leaving. The report from the doctor was grim. This death is killing me. What happened in the past is controlling me. I need something, Jesus. Jesus is here today. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection. I am the hope. I am the light of the world. I am the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. He is certainty. So we invite you today to come and eat the bread and drink the cup and see it as more than just a remembrance, but you're taking certain 